ready. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Today we're finishing up our Crossing Over series. Next Sunday is going to be our dedication. Our pre-grand opening is our dedication. And I believe some of our FMC bishops will be here. Our superintendent will certainly be here. And uh, friends and family from all over. So it's a very exciting day. Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 21 through 24. Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. This is what it says. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Verse 23, For the Lord your God, say your God, dried up the Jordan before you, say before you, until you, say until you, had crossed over. I didn't say say crossed over. But that's okay though. You with me? The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us. Say before us. Until we, say until we, had crossed over. I didn't say say crossed over, but that's okay. Verse 24. He did this so that all people, say all people, all all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you, say so that you, you. might always fear the Lord, your God. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak to All the whole church to the ministry. And number three, raise up new voices. Turn your eyes toward the harvest. Stop simply looking internally and asking the question, what do we like and what do we want and how do we want it? Ask yourself the question, how will the harvest experience this? Turn your eyes toward the harvest because I'm sending the harvest to you. And if your eyes aren't turned toward them, you're not going to be ready to welcome them and receive them when they come. And then number two, call the whole church to ministry. Call the whole church to the ministry. Because when the harvest comes, it's going to take more than a handful of people to serve them. When the harvest comes, it's going to take more than a handful of people to disciple them. When the harvest comes, it's going to take more than a handful of people to care for them. And then number three, raise up new voices. Because, Benjamin, you can't do it by yourself. Raise up new voices. There's voices in the house that are ready to be heard, that are crying out to be heard, that I have called and set in their places. Raise up those voices. And so this series is the beginning of my heart turning towards those three mandates and inviting each and every one of us in this house to hear those three mandates from the Lord. 
to turn our hearts toward the harvest, to call the entire church to the ministry. And then we're going to see the voices that God raises up in this house. Now, in this passage of Scripture here, we've been in Joshua 3 and 4. This will be our fourth consecutive Sunday in just these two chapters of Scripture. And looking at the entire drama that we find in Joshua 3 and 4, there's really three different characters or three different groups of characters at play in this story. The first are the priests. Yeah. We've talked so much about the priests. Yeah. The second are what I'm going to call the pursers. I'm calling them the pursers because I need a word that starts with P. <laughs> but I'll explain to you why I chose that word, too. And then the third are the people. Okay. Now, the priests are the ones whose responsibility it is to carry the presence, to take the risk, and to stand in the Jordan. Yeah. The priests are first, and the priests are last. They're the first to enter the Jordan and the last to exit. The priests stand and bear the weight of the presence for as long as it takes. The priests in the house are the first ones who feel that burden of the Lord that says, it's time for us to pray. It's time for us to seek the face of God. The priests come before anybody else has come. The priests are not trying to gather other people to do it. The priests know that this is my job, that this is my place, that if nobody else is interceding, I'm going to intercede, that if nobody else is praying, I'm going to pray. The priests, they fill the prayer room. They're the ones who stay on Friday nights and say, we're going to pray all night long. The priests... The priests are the ones who carry the burden of the Lord. They wake up in the middle of the night and intercede for the house whenever the Spirit is is stirring their spirit to do so. The priests, their job is to carry and to stand. Their feet get tired, but they still stand. They would rather have a seat, but they don't sit. They still stand. The priests, they stand and carry the weight. I'm not done till everybody crosses over. There's still more people that need to cross over, and so I'm not going to move. But then there are the pursers. The pursers, that word purser, it was actually a position, uh, an officer position on a ship. The purser was actually the accountant who took inventory of all of the finances and all of the resources on the ship, and their job was two things. Number one, to keep an accurate accounting of what we have. And number two, to preserve what we have so that we don't run out. The pursers in this story were the men that Joshua raised up to go back into the river after everyone had passed and to pull out the 12 stones. Because those 12 stones were the testimony that needed to be preserved. And we talked about this last Sunday that Joshua sensed after the people cross over and God spoke to Joshua and said, this miracle is going to pass and everyone's going to forget. This miracle is going to be over and everyone's going to forget. We need a memorial. We need a testimony. And so he gathered 12 men and said, your job is to collect the testimony to make sure that no one forgets. Your job is to keep an accounting of what God has done and create a memorial so that we do not forget. A memorial so that future generations can look back and see clearly what God has done. They give us opportunities to tell the story. You know, when we think of accounting, the first thing we think of is money. 
that the accountant is the one in the house whose responsibility it is to keep track of the offering. And yes, that's an important position, but there are many pursers that God puts in every congregation. The pursers are the ones who collect the testimonies. The ones who see what God has done and they run and record it. Who see when somebody gets touched and they go and ask questions. What did God do? And they're asking not just for their own edification, but they want to collect that testimony. They want to publish the testimony. They want the world to see and the world to know what God has done. You know who used to do that so powerfully in this house? was Robin Veray over there. He used to take his little iPhone out at the advent of the iPhone, his iPhone 4. And whenever there was a testimony, he would video that testimony and put it online, put it on Facebook. There was no Instagram yet. But his passion was, I got to collect this testimony. He did the same thing with the teaching. Whenever there was a teaching and, and there was something that was important for the house, anybody could go to Robin and say, when did PB preach this? And he'd say, that was uh, January 2014. The name of the series was this. I think it was Third Sunday. And you go and check the archives, and it was right there, just as he said. He was collecting the testimony. He was keeping track of what God had done. Yeah. The pursers are the ones who are passionate, yeah. who are jealous to preserve the memory of what God has done. And when the pursers get a miracle themselves, they don't keep it to themselves because they recognize that whatever God does for anyone in the house, he does for everyone in the house. And not only for everyone in the house, but for everyone outside of the house as well. And this is the key, looking back at the end of this passage, the last thing Joshua says in verse 24. He tells what God did. God dried up the Jordan River so that you could cross over on dry ground, just as he dried up the Red Sea so that we could cross over on dry ground. But verse 24, he did this so that. Here's the purpose. Here's the reason God did it. So that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Everything God does, he does not simply for the people that he does it for, but as a testimony to the rest of the world that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Listen, we owe it to the nations to collect, preserve, and publish the testimony of what God does among us. Hoarding the testimony is a sin. Getting secretly healed and not telling anybody you were secretly healed, that's a sin. You're hoarding the testimony. It's all for me. No, it ain't all for you. There's nothing that's all for me. I'll never forget we did a testimony video a few years ago, and a young lady came, and she shared a testimony of something very intimate that the Lord healed in her body. And I, I said to her, are you sure? Like, I was just videoing the testimony by myself, and she, and she, told, she just openly, and I said, are you sure you want this to get out? She said, God did it. Why would I be ashamed of what God did? I got to tell the world what God did for me. I'm not embarrassed by what God did for me. I want the world to know I owe my testimony to the world. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The pursers. But then there's the people. The people... Their job is simply to follow and believe, wow. to cross over 
and believe. Their job is not to part the Jordan. Their job is not to take the risk to step into the waters. Their job is not to carry the presence. Their job is not to stand under the weight. Their job is not to carry heavy stones. Their job is simply to see that the waters have parted and realize these waters are parted for me. I think I'll walk on through. All they have to do is believe these waters have been parted for me. All they have to do is believe somebody else paid the price for these waters to be parted for me. All they have to do is believe somebody else took the risk, somebody else walked in faith so that these waters can be parted for me. And they simply have to believe that enough to put one foot in front of the other and cross over. And if you haven't figured it out by now, then let me say to you in the fourth and final message of this series that the people represents none of y'all. Y'all are the priests or the pursers because God said to call the whole house to ministry. The people that are to cross over are still out there in their homes. They don't know Jesus yet. They're going to see what God has done through you and want to cross over. It's your job to wake up and recognize, am I a priest or am I a purser? Is it my job to collect the testimony or is it my job to carry the presence? And some of y'all are both. Some of y'all are priests. I'm going to get here early and pray and your pursers. I'm going to go in and set up chairs, tables, whatever needs to be set up. Why? Because if it doesn't get set up, there's no place for the people to come. This is part of collecting the testimony. And some of y'all haven't figured out which you are. And I know you think this is about a position in ministry in the church. It ain't about no position. It's about a heart. It's about a heart that says, I'm going to be a priest or I'm going to be a purser. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to make a way for others. I'm going to go to church not simply for what I can get, not simply for what my family can get, not simply for what I can glean, not simply for what I can receive. I'm going to go serve the move of God. I'm going to go serve the work of God, and I'm going to go make a way for the people to cross over. And what's going to bless my heart the most is when I see multitudes coming to Christ. When I see altars full of people who didn't know Jesus coming to Jesus. That's the benefit for me. Souls saved. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, it is mighty. Now let's take a step back. First, Joshua says... We're setting up these 12 stones in the camp, which is interesting because I have to correct something I said last Sunday. Last Sunday, I said the men carried the stones out of the river into the camp and then carried them back into the river and set them up. Actually, I looked back at the passage. That's not what happened. The men carried 12 stones out of the river, set them in the camp. Joshua told them, go back into the river, pick up 12 new stones, and make a pile. They went back into the river, set new stones, and made a pile, and then came back into the camp, and Josh erected the 12 stones, they had t- the first 12 they had taken out of the river in Gilgal. There were actually two memorials, one in the river, one on the other side of the river, so that the people could see God brought us here, but he brought us through there. Yeah. 
And he said, here's why we're setting this up. So that when your descendants, in the future, when your descendants ask, what do these stones mean? I'm going to read it to you again so I don't mess it up. Verse 21. He said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Verse 22. Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Verse 23. For the Lord, your God. Watch this. He's still talking to the descendants. Your children who weren't here, who didn't see it, they'll see the stones. And they say, what do these stones mean? First thing, you tell them, God dried up the Jordan River so that Israel could cross over. And then he goes, but in case you don't know who Israel is, for the Lord, your God, dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. He says, you tell your children this was for you. This was your miracle just as much as it was our miracle. Even though you weren't there, God did it for you. Even though you didn't see it, God did it for you. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us. What God did for us, he also did for you. He did it for us when I was a little boy. I'll never forget being a little boy and God parted the Red Sea so that we could cross over for dry ground. But then a new generation arose and guess what he did? He did for that next generation what he did for the last generation. The first thing you need to know is every time God works a miracle, it is a generational marker. But God also wants our hearts to expect that what he did for the last generation, he will do for the next generation. The reason your children need the testimony is they need to know that the God who saved you will save them. The God who healed you will heal them. The God who freed you will free them. He did for you what he did for us. And he did it so that all peoples might know that the hand of the Lord, it is mighty. That all people might know that the hand of the Lord, it is mighty. Mighty. And then he says, and, this is the middle of verse 24. He did it for two reasons, actually. First reason, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, it is mighty. And, everybody say, and. So that you might always fear the Lord your God. Yeah. And it got real quiet. <laughs> that all people might know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Woohoo! Hallelujah! Yes, God, let the world know that you are mighty. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Wait, 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 wait a second. Why we got to fear? I thought God hasn't given us a spirit of bondage again to fear but of love and of power and of soundness of mind. Yes, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but he's certainly given you the fear of the Lord. And the difference between the spirit of fear and the fear of the Lord are far and wide. They are as far apart as the east is from the west, as the north is from the south. The spirit of fear has to do with the punishment that comes from being rejected by other men and women. That's the spirit of fear. 
The spirit of fear is the, the fear of the punishment that comes from being rejected by other men and women on the earth. Wow. It's a worldly fear. It's an earthly fear. What if they don't like me? What if they reject me? What if they think I'm ugly? What if they think I'm stupid? What if? That's the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is bondage to a negative expectation of the future events of your life. That's another component of the spirit of fear. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to die of a heart attack. Every little pain in your chest. Oh, I just had another heart attack. A little head pain. It's a tumor. I know it's a tumor. A little respiratory issue. Oh, lung cancer. I know I got lung cancer. That's a spirit of fear. Where no matter what, you're always assuming the worst, thinking the worst, expecting the worst. You're bound to fear. Fear is tying you up and hindering you. But the fear of the Lord is the opposite. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What the fear of the Lord does is places your intimacy with God as your number one and ultimate concern. The fear of the Lord says, my relationship with God is my number one and ultimate concern, and I do not want to take a step to the left or to the right that might compromise that intimacy, that connection. The scripture says the wise man fears and departs from evil, but the fool rages and is confident. What does the wise man fear? The wise man fears that if I take a step into this evil, it will compromise my connection with God. And so I'm not afraid of being punished. I'm not afraid of the world rejecting me. I'm afraid of compromising the intimacy that I have with God, the intimacy that was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. He did this so that the world, all the peoples of the world might know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you might always fear the Lord. You might always fear the Lord because you recognize that you're not here by your own power. God brought you over. You recognize that you should still be slaves in Egypt, but God brought you out. You recognize that your body should have dropped in the wilderness, but God brought you through. You recognize that you never should have made it across your Jordan, but God dried up the river and brought you through. But, but don't you forget that the God who brought you in can throw you out. You know what tends to happen when churches become successful? Both its leaders and its people become prideful. Whenever God begins to bless a ministry, you can walk in in some places, some places, and almost taste the pride and the arrogance in the atmosphere. We're so awesome. We're so wonderful. And Joshua's saying to the people of Israel, God, this is a watermark. This is a memorial so that you can remember that you're here by the power of God. And if the power of God was what brought you in, then the power of God is necessary to sustain you. So you better not ever lose your connection to the power of God. You better be careful to guard it, to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to your care, to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit, because what tends to happen is that we were priests all the way into the promised land, but as soon as we stepped into the promised land, the priests put down the ark, and they go on about their business. It took, we had to be priests to get in here, but now we're in here. I just need to rest. 
We stop carrying the presence and we stop collecting the testimonies and we become comfortable in the promised land. And God spoke this through Moses already when they were in the, in the, in the wilderness that Moses said to the people, be careful lest after you enter into the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey, when you begin to live in houses that you did not build and tend uh, vines or vineyards that you did not plant and drink wine that you didn't, uh, that you didn't brew. Uh, he didn't say that, but, but you get what I'm saying? That you don't forget the Lord your God. That you don't forget the Lord your God. That you don't forget that you're here by a miracle. That it wasn't your own power or godliness that got you here. That what is obtained by faith must be maintained by faith. If it took faith to get in here, it's going to take faith to remain. So that you might always fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is our greatest protection. The fear of the Lord is not a place of unsafety. It is the place of our greatest safety. It preserves us. It protects us. By the fear of the Lord, one departs from iniquity. The fear of the Lord is what is necessary to maintain the fruitfulness that God will send us. And God is ready. But he's giving us one last opportunity today to make a decision It's time I joined the ministry. Y'all aren't the people. Y'all are the priests of the pursers. God told me to call all of y'all to the ministry. All of y'all. Every single one of y'all. All All (laughs) y'all. But I just got here. Welcome to the ministry. (laughs) But I don't even know Jesus that well. Bow your head, close your eyes, say this prayer with me. Now, welcome to the ministry. I still got sin in my life. Rebuke it, renounce it, repent of it right now, and welcome to the ministry. (laughs) I need somebody to walk with you. Yeah, we're all going to walk with one another, but welcome to the ministry. Never forget when we first started, (laughs) when we first started uh, Living Hope, 2004, January 4th, 2004. Remember, Sean and Carol Don showed up. And uh, Carol Dawn, on her first day, we said, children's church is that way. You're now on the team. (laughs) Welcome to the ministry. (laughs) Sean, you're the head usher. You're right back there. Welcome to the ministry. And 18 years later, they're still here. Welcome to the ministry. But the ministry is not about a position. It's not about a title. It's not about authority. It's about responsibility. And the definition of that responsibility is love. That's all it is. You really want to know what ministry is? It's love. You know what love is? Love is patient. It's kind. Doesn't envy. Doesn't boast. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth doesn't behave itself unseemly, is not easily provoked. It always protects. It always perseveres. It always believes. And it always endures. Love never fails. 
driven by love, that's the definition of the ministry of Jesus Christ. The priests were driven by love for the people. That's what strengthened and empowered them to stand in that Jordan while 1.5 million people walked through. That's what empowered them to stand while Joshua was trying to discern what the Lord was saying after all the people had crossed through. That's what empowered them to keep standing and keep carrying the presence of God as the 12 men came in to gather stones. That's what gave them the strength to stand in their place until the word of the Lord came and said, tell the priests to come up out of the water. It was love. I can't move from my place. I love the people too much. What's it going to do to the people if I move from my place prematurely? I'm listening for the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord can always move me, but until the word of the Lord moves me, I'm not moving from my place. Why? I love the people too much. Sonny and I have never had an easy marriage. We don't have an easy marriage now. But you know what we do have? Love. Not defined as the world defines love, as sugar and spice and everything nice. <laughs> don't worry, we get that from time to time too. You've got to have some of that. But that's not the essence of it. You know what the essence of love is? Patience, Amen. kindness. No envying, no boasting. You know what patience is? Patience is the resolve to take a licking but keep on ticking. And in our marriage, we have continued to take licking after licking after licking. But do you know why we keep on ticking? We think of all of you. All of you. We think of all of the people around the world who are watching us because we know that our life is a testimony. And so we don't get to give up. We don't get to stop fighting. And we're also not simply going to accept that we're just different personalities and so we're going to, you know, sleep in separate rooms. No, no, no. We got to work this out. Love simply doesn't mean like just stay in a dead marriage. No, it means you keep fighting to work it out. Why? Because it's not just about us. There's people watching us. There's people watching us. There are people watching us, and we've got to love them enough to love one another. We've got to love them enough to fight for love. That's the life of the priest. God is inviting you. God is calling you. And he's welcoming you. Yeah. Welcome to the ministry. <laughs> Bow your heads and let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today that your calling extends through generations, yeah. even all the way down to our children. I look at the back and I see several of our children, junior high school aged, 
early high school aged. And even to them, you're calling them to be priests. Which simply means that you're preparing their hearts for the reality that you're going to be sending a whole host of new young people to this house. And you need some young sons and daughters of yours to be willing to love them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would press your word to my lips as a trumpet this morning. That the clarion call of this invitation would resound in every heart. That it would cause every ear to tingle. Every heart to awaken. Every soul to quicken. That you are calling us to the ministry. And it's a holy calling. Lord, you know that I cannot attend ordination services without weeping. Because I believe it's one of the most beautiful things in the world when someone dedicates their life to the service of the Lord. But Lord, the ordination is only the dedication to one particular kind of service of the Lord. But all of your sons and daughters, every one of us, are called to devote our lives to the service of the Lord in whatever vocation to which you've called us. So, Lord, before we dedicate this building, we dedicate ourselves. Next Sunday, we'll dedicate this building, but today we dedicate ourselves. Because, Jesus, you didn't die for a space. You died for people. And so we surrender our lives to you today. May this word settle into hearts as seed and soil. May it activate. May it activate. May it awaken. Awaken hearts that have been deadened. May hearts awaken this morning. Let every heart prepare him room. Let whatever needs to be released from every heart, let it be released. Whatever needs to be renounced, let it be renounced. Whatever needs to be rejected, let it be rejected. Let every heart prepare him room. Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you today. Your calling is a holy calling. Make us holy as you are holy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just sit before the Lord just for a moment. Just for a moment. He's speaking to you. Some of you, there's a yes that's arising from your spirit right now. There's a yes. There's a yes. That's all God looks for is a yes. It's not in the raising of a hand. It's in the raising of a heart. The Lord sees our hearts. He sees the yes. The yes. Abraham, get up out of your house and go to the place that I'll show you. And Abraham's heart said, yes. David said, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. My heart said, yes. Lord, today, our hearts say, yes. Our hearts say, yes. Just begin to tell the Lord, Lord, my heart says, yes.
My heart says yes. And if you feel any resistance in your heart, take authority over your heart. Lord, I take authority over my heart. My heart doesn't want to say yes, but I say yes on behalf of my heart. I command my heart to say yes to the Lord. I take authority over my heart today. Whatever power of darkness that causes resistance in my heart, I reject it, I rebuke it, I renounce it. In Jesus' name, my heart says yes. My heart says yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, yes. I worship and obey. I glorify your name. Glorify your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're raising up an army in this house. Thank you, God, that you're raising up a gathering of priests in this house. You're calling out the priests in this house. And when the soles of their feet touch the water, the waters will part. And when the soles of their feet come back to dry ground, the waters will come back again. God, it's a miracle on the way in. It's a miracle on the way out. Miracle after miracle, because the priests will not put down the presence. The priests will continue to carry the presence. Even on the SF side, God's calling out the priests to rise up in that house. For too long, we've assumed that the priests are the ministry leaders in the house, the pastors or the elders. No, the priests are any one of the people, any people who make the decision to be carriers of the presence of God on behalf of the house. God's calling out the priests. God's calling out the priests. He's calling out the priests, even in our online campus. He's calling out the priests. I know some of you are comfortable in your homes right now. God's calling you to rise up and be priests. Not to be inactive, but to be active. Not to be apathetic, but to be passionate. God is stirring the hearts. He's stirring the hearts. He's stirring the hearts. And we give you praise for it today, Jesus. We give you praise in your precious holy name. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning.